Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Podcast book show, and it's getting a little bit dreek because it started to rain. I know, on us. just as we started. Yeah, we're <laughs> sat outside the most wonderful coffee bar, the Burr Coffee House in uh, Stirling. I think we've patronised this place quite a lot, haven't we? We have. We have spent a few few bob here, uh, and it is Sunday morning as the Bloody Scotland Festival effectively feels like it's winding down. One or two of the authors I've seen packing their their cars and heading off, but we've had a wonderful time here at Bloody Scotland. Uh, it's been fantastic again similar to Harrogate uh, a great affirmation of what we're doing in publishing Uh, great to spend some time with contemporaries and an opportunity to get rained on well we've loved it so much we we've even flirted with the idea of living here haven't we a little bit well yeah we did (laughs) did for Harrogate too to be fair Uh, but welcome to the program and just if you're new to the Hobcast you might want to know who we are and what it is well I'm Adrian Hobart. I'm Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books. And we are UK independent publishers of the following genres. Thrillers. Mysteries. Suspense. Not bad. Crime. Right, that was our, our rather mixed efforts at Scottish accents. Yeah, it's, it's one of the accents I, I cannot do. I mean, I'm not very good at accents anyway, but Scottish I find the most troublesome because I'm rub, rubbish at rolling my arse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a complete arse. Um, right, no, it's, it's, been, um, it's, it's been fantastic. I love, I love the Scottish accent, especially when they say murder. Um, there's been a murder. And we were at a session yesterday with Mark Bellingham and Chris Brookmeyer. Who has a, got a wonderful accent, hasn't he? Does, he does. He does have a really fantastic Scottish accent. And he said murder about six or seven times during his talk. We that should have counted it, shouldn't oh, we? Oh, I wish, I wish. I wish I'd recorded it. In fact, we did have one stage. Uh, we didn't have the guts to do it. But we thought it would be nice to go around recording people <laughs> saying murder uh, around <laughs> Stirling. But... Um, you know, we, I think we, we should have done it at night time when they've all had a, a drink or two and they'd be more yeah. willing to do it. <laughs> uh, listen, we've got a very exciting guest for you. Uh, Tina Baker, <laughs> author of Call Me Mummy, which is uh, has been to number one in the Kindle charts. It's just had its paperback release. Tina is something of a media star. Uh, she has spent many years reviewing the soaps on programmes like GMTV and Five Live and indeed... I used to share the same building with her, but I never had the guts to come and speak to her. And I used to watch her reviewing the soaps while I was doing my revision for university exams and things like that. So, you know, I was a bit starstruck as well, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, last night she, she had an opportunity to pitch her book, Call Me Mummy, uh, to the audience in the uh, Albert Halls here in Stirling. And she dressed as a bumblebee, as you would, <laughs> because the, the name of the session she was preceding 
was called The Killer Bees with Mark Billingham and Chris Brookmore. So it did make sense, because she, yeah. she said to us, she said, oh, people probably wondered why I was dressed as a bee, and I thought, well, it was The Killer Bees. Yeah. <laughs> now it she, made sense to me. Yeah, look, she's a force of nature and quite wonderful and incredibly honest about where her book came from, that her three main characters, all of them flawed, all of them, you know, slightly warped, uh, are parts of her own personality. But you'll hear all that a little bit later in the programme. Listen, we haven't really looked at news this week, have we? Have we got much news to talk about? No. What's been in the news? Well, it's been difficult to keep up with the news, I think, because we, we, we were so busy cramming in as much as we could into three days mm. um, in the week, and then we came up here. So, Yeah, I, I don't think I've really followed much publishing news. So I'll tell you what, for one week, we're going give to give that a rest. OK. And let's reflect instead on what we've experienced here yeah. at Bloody Scotland. Now, it's been a big deal for the organisers. And I, on the first night we got here, I bumped into Bob McDevitt, who was a guest of ours, say, ten episodes ago. Mm. And he was hurtling between the assembly rooms and back to the main hotel, the Golden Lion, where some of the other sessions were being held. And I said, how's it going? He said, well, it hasn't started yet. And he looked energised, uh, a little worried, because, let's be honest, when we spoke to him, off the record he was saying... I'm not entirely sure the festival can go ahead because the funding wasn't in place. Yeah. But they got the funding and they got it going. And it's not been as busy on location. No, but uh, because, partly because they've had the online, so the, the hybrid festival, as they call it. Yes, so they did an online, there's been an online offer. And in fact, you know, some of the sessions which we didn't attend, we will catch up on Yeah. online uh, because people have been raving about how good the one on forensics was, for instance. Mm. And uh, that was hosted by uh, our good friend Chris Merritt, who we spoke to last night. Who just walked past, actually. <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> Chris uh, was, was one of our earliest guests on the the, uh, the Hopcast. So uh, he really uh, is doing great. He's got a new book out, which I must go and look up the title. I did promise I'd mention it on the podcast, so we'll, uh, we'll look that up. We'll, we'll mention it after the interview. Absolutely. Um, but it, it, that was was a great session and there have been a lot of very very useful informational sort of sessions for the author community really i think we were talking about this last night weren't we that our sort of overall impression of bloody scotland as a festival it's it's a very um deep thinking festival Mm. so yes it's an opportunity to get together with other writers and the readers and the all the people who keep the industry going you know the bloggers and the um publishers but it's also a chance to sort of think about crime writing and think about Scottish crime writing and think about, mm. uh, you know, the, the sort of the philosophies behind it, which I've loved that. Yeah. Well, you may remember when we were in Harrogate, we spoke to Ian Rankin about how he'd uh, taken the discovered notes and a few scenes from William McElvaney and created uh, The Dark Remains, which is... Uh, a collaboration with the late William McIlvanny and Ian Rankin and just it's come home to us here I mean we, we learned a lot from, from speaking to the man himself Ian about how he'd done this taking a few notes and trying to enter the voice of someone else but just how important everyone within the Scottish crime writing community feels William McIlvanny is mm. in terms of the social conscience side of his writing, the fact that it was able to 
use it to expose the problems of Glasgow in the 1970s through crime. And that thread goes through a lot of the crime writing that's still being written. And if you think of Val McDermott's 1979, Winter of Discontent, uh, she's got a protagonist who's a journalist like she was at that time. And again, opportunity to, ex- to explore Scottish society, the different strata of Scottish society through the prism of crime. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this with uh, Mark Whiteman to some extent when we interviewed him for the podcast, that you're writing fiction, but you're also writing about society and history and culture as well. So people are learning as well as being entertained in um, quote marks, you know. And, And Scottish crime writing is very much like that, possibly more than... English crime writing, I mm. think. Yeah, and, and I think certainly, to some extent, more than, than American crime writing too. But oh, I think, yeah. But I think British crime writing is, is a, a much more defined genre, uh, a much stronger and big, bigger selling genre in this country. I mean, it is the dominant genre in British publishing. Yeah. Um, without question. You know, far more so than romance, whereas romance dominates everything in America. And certainly on online sales, that's where the money is. Uh, fantasy comes a close second and mm. then and then you know you've got the big guys so it's it's yeah the festival definitely has had a depth to it that i think i think harrogate had a feeling of hallelujah we're all getting together again yeah because it was the first one for a long yeah. time wasn't it and so everybody was almost sort of um so enthusiastic and so happy and catching up with each other as opposed to sort of reflecting whereas here it's a bit more a lot of these people were at Harrogate. They saw each other two or three months ago. Yeah, they're ago. over that bit. And so now they're thinking more and discussing more. And I really like that because that's, what, to me, what a festival's about. It's about getting a bit deeper and also being inspired to read thing, other things. You know, we've, between us, I think we've got <laughs> six new books to read. At least. Probably about <laughs> ten, I think. But, but, yeah, we've had an opportunity to hear people talk about their books. And what I like about Bloody Scotland is the... the before every major session, someone, an unknown author or debut author, comes forward and gets a chance to read some of their book and just have that little bit of exposure. And I bought a couple of books just on the basis of that. And yeah. I think that is so valuable, so valuable that they've done that. And uh, it's been a tradition here as they approach next year will be their 10th anniversary. But you do feel that if they hadn't held it this year, then it would have been uh, really potentially the end of bloody scotland as a, as, a, as a festival yeah no i agree yeah and it's a, it's a good opportunity for those people because they may have never been on a stage before yeah th- th- these new you know new writers and and so maybe next year they might be on a panel or a year after or yeah I, I think that's a great um event for them the uh the highlight what's been the highlight so far for you i mean out of the festival oh the highlight <laughs> Apart from the curry on the first night. Um, well, I mean, Stephen King last night was amazing. Although, should I confess this? Go on, confess. Okay, so confess. Was, <laughs> the Stephen King session was was two people um, on a Zoom-like screen um, speaking live from America. And for the first 20 minutes, the guy on the left, to me, looked more like he was Stephen King than the, the guy on the right. And then about 20 minutes in, I realised I got them the wrong way around. And Stephen King was actually the guy on the right. Yeah, so the other one was Linwood Barclay with <laughs> tons of, tons of uh, 
uh, Jay Leno-like hair. And then I felt really embarrassed because I, I did Google and I thought, that is that is so Stephen King. <laughs> and Stephen King's the slightly crumpled yeah. older man. So, although I was embarrassed, I did confess to you that I'd spent the first 20 minutes it, thinking... It, the it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. For me, uh, the pick was, um, without question, uh, the Killer Bees. Uh, so Chris Brookmeyer and Mark Billingham going through all the one-star reviews they've had on Amazon and also the direct emails they get when they've been slagged off by their readers, which was really encouraging because I know that a number of our authors get the odd one-star review and it crushes their world. Mm. But actually, it's much healthier if you, if you just laugh it off, which they did brilliantly. Yeah, they did. And, they, and it, almost, it made it so comical that it actually made me want to read the books. To yeah. Yeah, to yeah. see why these people were picking on these tiny things, elements of criticism. So, so these are million, million booksellers, uh, authors, and best-selling authors who still get one-star reviews. Yeah, from their loyal fans who say, "Oh, you know, but you've lost me on this one." You, they, they were almost hurt by, it, weren't they? Yeah, they were yeah. saying, "I've read all of your books, absolutely love them, and then you deliver this to me." Yeah, <laughs> like it was personal vendetta. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, let's get to the interview. Let's talk to Tina Baker. And uh, her debut novel uh, has just uh, come up. It's called Call Me Mummy. You cannot miss it if it's on a book, uh, a book stand anywhere. It's now in Tesco and Asda, she tells us. Yeah, so uh, Black cover, easy to find. pink dress. Um, and it looks like it's a chit-lit book, but it isn't. Yeah. It is very much... Uh, it's dark. It's about... Uh, a woman with no children who steals a child from a Woolworths or something similar uh, from a from some convenience store mm. and uh, the warped world that she lives in and also the impact on the mother who loses the child who's, you know, a uh, working class mother who's struggling with, uh, a num- you know, different fathers for each kid and the impact on her and also it's seen from the perspective of the little girl, Tonya who is potty mouth, let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, and I will say this, I'm not going to edit this out, uh, there is a strong use of language towards the end of the interview. Yes. But in context, we're going to But keep, it's authentic. It's authentic, we're keeping it in. So unapologetically, in full glory, in technicolour, the wonderful Tina Baker. Tina Baker, can I just say, this is actually a bucketless moment for me. Because, oh, shut up. No, no, because I spent many years trying to pluck up the courage to say hello when we used to be in the same building and I never did that is the uh, that is the most bizarre thing I am I don't think I'm at all scary why are you mad no I was just chicken I mean you know I mean it's funny isn't it you can work in the industry in the broadcast industry and yet there's an awful lot of us who put on the performance do the extrovert thing and then have to retreat and rebuild the energy because it's we're actually shy Shy, yeah. It's it, it absolutely. I um, nobody who's not done telly or radio would quite understand how I can be such a gobby cow and then actually do the hide in my bedroom. Mm. I wouldn't come out of my bedroom unless I've got three layers of makeup on, like yourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've got your makeup on today. Yes. <laughs> I've got three Little days powder. of three days of fuzz. That's that's my. <laughs> me yeah. too. Yeah. Postmenopausal fuzz. <laughs> not you, me. Three. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's a great honour to to to. to Honour, shut up. I know, I know. But he's but been he's been so excited about. I have. Thing. I've he been has. excited about that. I I, I loved um, the fact that you know we got like this shared 
Radio 5. Mm. Whenever I went into Radio 5, because it was sport and, and uh, different... I used to feel like a complete imposter because I used to do the soaps. I was the soap <laughs> queen. And I've come up to bloody Scotland and I feel like an imposter because I'm not Scottish, although I do know Lorraine Kelly, so they let me in. Um, and I feel like I've written a book and I'm not good enough. And I do my keep fit classes and I feel I'm not good enough. So it's like the imposter syndrome. Oh, you know, we've all got it. It's like... I just make myself do stuff anyway. Yeah, I think that's it, though, the isn't it? The syndrome never goes away, then, because you've got bags of experience, haven't you? You know, you call me old. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm vintage, thank you. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It no. doesn't go away. That's what because, Stephen King said yesterday. Yeah, it's like it doesn't. Um, and I feel nervous and anxious and depressed when I am not going out at all, because I shield it. And I feel nervous and very anxious when I came out to not just my first Bloody Scotland festival, but my first festival festival, my first literary event, where, you know, the next minute you're sitting next to Mark Billingham and my knees are knocking. Mm. I did actually have to dress as a bee for that session. I know you saw it. And the reason I dressed as a bee is because I'm now not only in my first festival, but I'm talking about something that's like really dark. It's like, oh, I've not been able to be a mum. And I would either go on stage and cry when I read from a book or I would dress as a bee because it was the killer bees session. It was, yeah. And I thought, I can be a silly bee. And it's like putting drag on. Mm. You know, so I put my makeup on. I sometimes get dressed up. I sometimes get dressed down. Um, and, and do that as a way of dealing with my anxiety. So that's the full story about people thinking... Who's that mad woman on the stage dressed as a bee and why? <laughs> There's no bees in the book. There isn't. No. No. Um, but, but it worked, though. It really did work, I feel so. Because, it, you know, you had that sort of very light-hearted but deep at the same time. At the beginning, you as a bee reading an extract from your book that was, you know, very thought-provoking. And then the two comedy blokes later. <laughs> I didn't realise how comedy they were. They had p- picked the perfect session for me, didn't they, really? Mm, you know? They did, Chris yeah. Brookmeyer and um, Mark Billingham. And it's like, and then I'd also thought ahead to the book signing that I'm like Billy Gnome Mates, the debut author. And like when I spotted Call Me Mummy across the room where Waterstones actually had it, that's only about the third or fourth time I'd seen it in the wild because there is a Waterstones on my road in London, the Crouch End thing, and I have battered down their doors since lockdown. So when you come out in lockdown, it doesn't feel real. If you're a debut in lockdown, even more so. So on the way up, I went into WH Smith at King's Cross and cried and sat on the floor for a selfie and somebody took pity on me and bought a book. Then I got to Edinburgh and they got one copy left. So I rushed to it. You know, I can spot my book in a whole lineup. You know, it's the black cover and the pink dress. And it's like... <gasps> so if it ever commits a crime... Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, and then coming up here, I, I just assumed that nothing would happen. And then I saw my books. And it's like, you know, I squeak. I won't squeak now because only bats and dogs can hear me and when bees. I squeak. And bees. <laughs> And then the most bizarre thing was I walked out of the rehearsal at the Albert Halls and saw the Extinction Rebellion Sterling doing a Save the Insect protest. We saw that yesterday, yes. didn't we? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just around the corner. Yeah. Well, I was dressed as a bee and I joined in. 
brilliant. And literally two policemen came up to us in the middle of the Extinction Rebellion. So we were just in the precinct in Stirling. And I just thought, well, it's meant to be. Meant to, meant to be. be. Oh. And free the bees, free <laughs> bees. All of the puns came out. And the Extinction Rebellion people were a bit bemused, but they were delighted I turned up. And I just thought, this is before my first festival. I might be arrested here and now. That would make a great by story, the police. <laughs> and I'm here to sort of do my reading, you know, my first reading in the in, Maybe in, wait if you're on the stage, where's the bee? The, the bee's in prison. The bee, bee's in prison for the protest about but it wasn't a protest, it was just saying save the bees by not doing you know letting your garden grow a bit wild and don't use pesticides i thought it was the most benign extinction rebellion mm. ever oh it really was it, re- it was so pretty. but what can i just correct you up here it's the police isn't oh, it i'm sorry it is the police i've been to the police police session at bloody scotland so i should know better i i, I find it funny i mean you know i've cracked up every time chris brookmeyer used the word mother Yes. About six times, and I love murder. And and I loved it when, I mean, going back to uh, <laughs> you know, Lorraine, who appeared on um, uh, something recently where she she had to say, "There's been a murder." It's absolutely. I was just on the floor. I don't know what it is about the Scots saying murder. It's, it, it's, it's just, just a tagger thing, isn't quite, it? I just like. I, I love the Scots accent anyway, so it's it's quite sexy. I it, think. Yeah, it makes murder sound quite nice. Yeah, it does. It makes you want to join it's in. A burr. Yeah. Well, we've all joined in, at least in the pages. <laughs> so, Call Me Mummy, um, your debut book, came out in pandemic, which is most unfortunate. But having said that, it's making ripples. It's really doing well. It's in Tesco's, I saw. Yeah, it's in Tesco's and Asda. Tesco's is a big thing for me because me and my family cleaned the floors of Tesco's for many years. I was treated very badly by some of the people who wheeled their dirty trolley wheels over the bit that you'd just done and sneered at us as if there was something they'd stepped in. So to get my book on the shelves was fantastic. I've not seen it because I went down my local Tesco superstore and it wasn't there because they stopped doing books. So, But most Tesco superstores and Asda's have got it uh, and WH Smith. So that's a buzz for me. It's like that for me is like winning the book because it's like to see it in the supermarket I'd never bought a hardback till I became an author you know I'd never done it I did libraries as a kid I've always done paperbacks I can't I mean we got to number one on Kindle and I don't read much on Kindle because I'm so old school I'm Mm. so old-fashioned but you, you know that I mean that was thanks to Lorraine really because I, um, we'd worked for many years together on GMTV I'd done the soaps there um, and I'd got a quote from Lorraine and a quote from Eddie Mayer because that's yeah. where me and you'd worked on Five Live and it makes such a difference I think mm. if you've got a champion it does you it, know it, Stephen King's gives a quote to somebody and like people I'd buy that yeah, yeah, it does make a massive difference. I mean, that's part of what we want for, as publishers, isn't it? Is if we can get an endorsement from somebody, yeah, particularly if they're well known in that genre, or if they're the sort of people that people relate to and think, well, she reads that, she's read yes. that, loves it, then I'm probably going to love it. Yeah, it's, it's so all the little things that you find. So I am like so grateful for that, and it still doesn't feel real. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. I think if you've wanted something as long as uh, I've wanted it. 
it still doesn't not just coming out in the pandemic I don't think but I was shielding and I am anxious and you know my mental health is always dodgy at the best of times so I was like whimpering you know curled fetal on the sofa being colonized by various cats uh, and then you don't want to get up when a cat's sort of on bits of you do you, you think no. oh no so I die of deep vein thrombosis rather than move and Me disturb too. the cats yeah I've been there despite <laughs> there is what trigger warning there is a cat in the book Call Me Mummy, the mummy of the title is a deeply unhinged woman, sadly partly based on my own dear mother, God rest her soul, who uh, was abused by Welsh nuns. So there's a little twist on the theme. And so she genuinely thinks she's saving somebody, you know, sort of takes her Catholicism to the nth degree. And I think any religion that's fanatical is dangerous. So it's it's different, I think, from most child abduction stories. It was me thinking, I've wanted to take a child. I, I see somebody shouting at in the shops. I have. I've not. I mm. hasten to add I have not. But what happens if I had indulged that dark impulse? Because mm. I've been desperate. Also, when we went through like the IVF and that, you're pumped full of hormones. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a bit mental anyway, so, you know, plus the, you know... They do send you a little loopy. The mega (laughs) hormones. And I I just sort of be crazed by it. And then think, because I'm from Leicestershire originally, Madeleine McCann's story, what if those parents had been working class? Because they were crucified in the press. Mm, And if they'd have been like the woman who loses the child in my book working class and a little bit dodgy she's branded scummy mummy by the press and that's my years of journalism you know the handy headline that you are labeled it's like the scarlet letter and i i'm all those people i'm mummy uh, in my most deranged moments i am kim the woman who loses the child because she smokes she drinks she's got tattoos and she swears I no longer drink, I no longer smoke, but my tattoos are permanent and I still swear when I'm not on air. And there's something about the profanities in the book, again, that the reviews have been really good, apart from the one-star review because the packaging from Amazon was damaged. Thanks, mate. Uh, But mostly it's been good and the criticisms have been mainly because it's a woman using the vernacular, it's a woman swearing, and it's like, yeah, that's the character. They're they're the people I grew up with. And it's real life. And it's real life. But, you know, if you're Irving Welsh, you can get away with it. But um, if you're a woman, it's, it's frowned upon. Yeah, still. Still. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I, I, I think you, you captured that brilliantly. I think, you know, I, I must admit, I'm not quite through the book yet, but the, the characterisation, it fizzes. Your dialogue, that sense of reality around... Uh, the sort of people you do... I mean, I lived in Bognor Regis for a bit with, with, with the BBC. I had to, worked in Chichester. And the sort of Kims of the world would shop in the Safeway. Yeah. And, and what they would do is they let their kids sit in the sweet section, open the packets, scoff as many as they could while they went and got the shopping, and then left the empty packets. And it was effectively in-your-face shoplifting. But... 
I, you, even like ordinary people who don't do that, you can't win as a mother. You can't win as a woman. You're either, you know, you stay at home mum and you, you judge for that or you go out to work and you judge for that. Absolutely. And yes, I don't know as if I'd have been a better parent. That's the honest truth. Mm. And also I was like the kid in the book who's stolen and not the perfect daughter. So um, I had a very uh, troubled relationship with my own mum. But that was partly on me because I was a bolshy little so-and-so. So I really identify with a little girl in there mm. who she, uh, you know, a, a lot of mums, I think, have got this idea of we're going to dress her up like a princess. That child and me was not a princess. You know, if they dressed me up like a princess, I was a real tomboy. I'd run around like a mad thing. I was totally feral. That's funny. I'm still a bit feral. That's exactly the same as me. My mum was always saying to me, why don't you wear pretty clothes? She still says it to me. <laughs> but it's like, I love my, I love the girly clothes, but I write dark. So I'm full of pink, you know, My Little Pony vibes, but I write like a six-foot goth from Sweden, <laughs> you know. So it's like, but that those bits of dark humour keep me going. It's like um, bits of, uh, you know... Uh, gallows humor or newsroom humor you know just that's exactly what you need isn't it in the darkest of situations that's that's how you cope with dark situations though isn't it you have to laugh at something oh god yeah absolutely it's interesting you say that about the gallows humor because this is one of the things i mean we were talking about earlier about how i fell out of the bbc was that the gallows humor that i grew up with because i was a news journalist before i became a sports one um you know used to go to terrible things you see terrible things you meet you know, people who perpetrated terrible things, and the only way to get through it was to, like, like the police do. You know, is to, is to laugh about it. But you can't do that anymore. And I mean, you know, that's, uh, you know, within a certain generation of people, just don't expect old people, older people, generation to, to speak like that or yeah. to have that attitude. And, and I, I think it's like uh, some people take swearing as aggressive. Mm. And I used to be aggressive, I'll be honest. I've been aggressive in drink, but I'm not an aggressive person. Mm. And often it's said from a place of real love and affection. And if you're from the North or yeah. the Midlands and a working class background, you um, take the piss out of people you love. All like. the time, all the time. That's what it's like, yeah. And now I should apologise for using that phrase. No, don't. Don't, don't. You I've know, said much worse on this programme. But that's the truth. It's like if I'm unedited, if I am my authentic self, I think like that. Mm. Me and my husband talk like that. He's from, you know, Cornwall and he's from, you know, sort of working class background. And it's like we found each other. And what we say at home, I edit myself in my Keep Fit classes that I do as a day job when I'm not writing. And I've got to a stage now I'm frightened of editing myself on the page. But I um, I've done a deal that I will throw everything at it heart and soul. And some of it's edited out. Some of it's advised to be edited out. But it's from a place of trying to be authentic, as authentic as I can. And as a woman writer, it's like, why can't I use Irving Welsh language? Why can't I use the bad jokes? That's how people like that. I'm not Kim. I'm not mummy, I'm not even Tonya, but they're parts of me. Mm. It's a 
different aspects. I want it to be as honest as possible and as open as possible and talk about anything as well. So, you know, no more lies, no more pretending to be normal, no more, you know, self-editing. And I think that's what you have to do. So the book is my heart, my soul, my psyche, my dark bits. It's like literally washing my dirty linen in public. I would not have been able to write that book if my mum and dad were alive. Seriously, oh, you know, I, I imagine, it sort yeah. of gave me permission for them dying to sort of just do, just go out there, just go for it. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you, because you were immersed in the world of soaps for a very long time. and Loved you, them, still do, oh, you, don't watch them. Oh, revelation. Literally, <laughs> I can't watch them anymore because no. too much going on in my own brain. Yeah, uh, but you juggled all those storylines and I mean I used to watch it in awe if I'm honest when you're on GMTV me too when I was revising yeah yeah no I, I and the way that you I mean the passion you you brought to the excitement of what's going to happen tonight in Emmerdale or yeah, wherever it might be was, was great but genuinely I, I watch them all all the time I love them and and we go to the briefing meetings because I work for TV Times I know the storylines in advance I'm actually even though I blab everything about my own life I'm really good at keeping secrets so you know I know yeah. and even if they said oh they you know they'd film two endings they'd film six weeks after so you can work it out you know what yeah, I mean yeah, so yeah. I'd always know but I loved it and I loved Lorraine I still do love Lorraine you know she's been a great supporter and that team so I wasn't faking it and it felt like a bereavement giving them up mm. uh, so telly gave me up really radio gave me up and, and it was like you know my age is like do what you really want do what you really love mm. because there's no money in writing as far as I can work out but right from the heart mm. and I knew I couldn't do my storylines and then be across all the soaps yes Yes. So that's been the biggest thing I gave up to be a writer, my biggest sacrifice. But I, I wonder whether that has, in, you know, that exposure to the, to the churn of the soaps, the structuring of the soaps, the storytelling has rubbed off in your writing. I don't know. I mean, I hope so. You know, it would be a compliment if it had. Uh, the one thing I'm passionate about is the characters and making them real. Mm. And the soaps are one of the few dramas, particularly on the BBC, where you get working-class people. Mm. Not anymore, quite so much, because I think there's more representation now. But when I started, like, literally 30-odd years ago, it's like, you know, EastEnders were the only people who were... Uh, like people I recognise mm. and it's the same in novels you know I've read, I'm a voracious reader um, always have been um, partly because my mum didn't really learn to read or write very well because they tied her hand behind her back because she was left handed in the convent as well as abusing her because wow. it was a sign of the devil yes it is supposed to be Yeah, it was supposed to be. literally So I can um, see that it, uh, <laughs> right I'm sorry there's domestic when, now your, who, who do you share your birthday with again? Damien from The Omen. <laughs> I was born the same day, the same year oh, in the film. I love that. I love that. But God bless <laughs> her. So, both devils, I think. So abused by nuns, not really well educated because she was from the fairground. So my grandma and granddad ran a coconut shy. So she, she didn't have very good schooling and she thought it was really important. My dad, similarly, he was a window cleaner who played double bass in a band at night, got a scholarship to grammar school, couldn't go because his mum was a widow and he had to get a job. So they both loved, loved education. So there were books from the library. Mm. And also I was sort of, they were both working two jobs. I was left on my own quite a bit. 
and you know so it's what just do you do? read read mm. and i had a very eclectic um reading so wind in the willows and the virgin soldiers yeah. wow <laughs> you know so i had access to everything i've read That's a wonderful. lot of stuff that you shouldn't read at that age yeah i did too i didn't I understand jackie collins <laughs> didn't didn't understand half of it what was going on the carpet baggers what does that mean look it up in a dictionary oh, really <laughs> even didn't understand the words in the dictionary so i think that's colored it as well as the so you don't know what carpet baggers are the, no the carpet baggers was a was a 70s novel i think yeah yeah <laughs> i can't remember what it was about but i know there was sex in it <laughs> oh yes yes and um, uh, but I, I i i think it's really interesting something like um uh, I'm trying to think of his name. John York, who used to run. I adore John York. Yeah. I adore him. So he's now an academic. Yes, mm. he exactly. came to. Yeah. I, I did go back to school and do an MA in creative writing at City, where I'd done my postgrad mm. for journalism because there was a discount because I'd done a degree earlier. And he's wonderful, and he is, you know, passionate about storytelling yes. and has actually analysed it. Mm. I mean, I couldn't do it. And analytically, I have to do it instinctively. Mm. I'm an emotional writer. I don't plan or plot. It's a bit of a mishmash. And that's scary because Call Me Mummy's out now in paperback and I'm promoting that. When I get back home, I've got to do the proof edit on the second one, which is coming out next year. Nasty little cuts. You have to be very careful how you say that. Mm. And then they wanted a synopsis, you bad publishers. On a third one, I've not even written yet. I said, I don't I, know. I never asked synopsis. a synopsis. In fact, one of our what? authors said, she said, I've written the book. Would you like me to write a synopsis? I said, no, I want to just read it. Just send me the manuscript. I just want to read uh, it. To be fair, my editor is about to go on maternity leave in literally weeks and hasn't got time, okay. you know, to oh, read whole case. books. <laughs> so there is one written which, you know, I did a synopsis for and there's one I'm writing which it wasn't exactly a synopsis what might happen <laughs> I don't know it's in my brain but it's not out there yet just send a blank sheet and then when they say but it's blank oh whoops sorry <laughs> I said the wrong thing but my brain's a bit shredded by that I think the 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 shielding and the lockdown did it a bit for me and because I'm anxious anyway and the brain fog I mean who knows I don't think I've had Covid but I'm still super cautious get your vaccines um <laughs> but it's it, it's hard because it's also they become your book babies and not having children mm. I am ridiculously emotional about it and the only way I can talk about it you know and I'm talking about it is do it almost like in a media way mm. and almost make fun of myself and that is the saving grace so if I can make a complete tit of myself by literally running around the stage dressed as a bee for my very first book reading I can do that because I needed to use the energy and I found out literally in the wings of the Albert Halls that you can't do star jumps when dressed as an inflatable bee because I usually do star jumps before going on you know, to use up mm. adrenaline. So being a keep fit instructor is quite useful for me because I'm quite high energy most of the time with huge, vicious slumps. <laughs> I, 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 I love your, your life story in terms of how you became a fitness instructor, going on... Oh, yes, Celebrity, Celebrity Fit, fit Club. Club. With yeah. Julie Goodyear, there's a soap name, who yeah. became my surrogate yes. mum. Bet Lynch. Bet Lynch is my surrogate mum. She actually oh, signs lovely. her Christmas cards to me, mum. God bless her. 
Uh, again, this is somebody who's been um, had a bit of bad press, I think. You know, they've made her out to be this queen of, of the soaps. She is a bloody queen of the soaps, actually. Give her the respect. Yeah, yeah. But she was on there. And, of course, you're hungry, you're tired, because they make you get up at seven and do press-ups. I spent most of the time in tears because my mum had just died. And even though, you know, it was a very ruptured relationship and she once tried to stab me, um, I loved her because she was the only one I got and I get emotional thinking about that, so I'm not going to go there. But it's like Andy Fordham's just died, God bless him, the the darts player. I loved him. When, When you go through something like that, it's like going through a boot camp, literally. It's like I bonded with all those people. Yeah. And... You know, so I felt like without a layer of skin. So I understand the trolling I talk about in the book that, you know, the pylons. People were saying, oh, look at her jazz and look at her crying. You know, she's faking it. And I just want to say, my mum's just died. Give me a break. Mm. Um, book Twitter is not like that. I hasten to add no, that has kept me through. Yeah. It has saved my life probably. And I'm not exaggerating in the darkest days of shielding and anxiety. Um, and working with anti-vaxxers. It's just like, oh, dear God, give, you know, please be kind, just be kind. Mm. I've mm. gone off peace. What, what were we talking about? No, I mean... I, that, <laughs> oh, yes, Celebrity Fix. Well, the way, yeah. the, the way that that became, you know, it was uh, a total revelation for you, wasn't it? In the sense yeah. of that, that process that you went through, the, the amount of weight you lost. and I mean, it was only it, like two and a half stone on the programme, three stone now. I put on half stone back. Funnily enough, not in lockdown when I went back to work because I was so scared. Mm. But still, I'm at the weight now that I was sort of at the but end then to of get to become, be, you know, to take up, do the training yeah. and, and, and get qualified. I'm, I am passionate about that because Harvey, who was, um, you know, so I got fit with Harvey, who was literally a military trainer. Mm. So <laughs> you were doing star jumps at seven in the morning. And his mantra is keep it going. And it really helps with writing. So I, throughout lockdown, did a stretch at your desk, three sessions for older people and writers, you know, throughout the whole thing on the Zooms. God bless Zoom. Because you're sitting in it for so long and often talking and writing about things that are are quite painful. So to move the body, if it's a walk um, or a stretch or just, just get up and, you know, walk around... It's, again, that's something that's helped my mental health as much as my physical health. Absolutely, yeah. It's, you, you know, and I feel a bit evangelical about that. You can't make people do it. So my husband is overweight and smokes and, you know, doesn't listen to me at all. My brother recently lost half of his body weight. So he was morbidly obese for all of his adult life. Over 30 stone, we don't know exactly how much because we couldn't get him on a scale. He retired and less stress, he's now lost 12 and a half stone, bless him. Good for him. And, you know, so it can happen. You're never too old to do that. Mm. And I wobble still because there's no surprise it was when my mum died I lost the weight because it's you know emotional eating mm. you know emotionally eating um it's the less glamorous addiction mm. you know drink drugs they've got i've been to so many al-anon meetings and na meetings and stuff like that you know with for myself and various other people um you know relationships i've been in um being addicted to other people you know i've got to have you know my relationship but food is looked down on. Absolutely. Slimming World is the most underrated, you know, uh, support group, I think. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I, I, I've attempted Slimming World a few times, and uh, but I, I've never been able to stick at anything. I mean, that's been 
story of my life. Yeah, isn't it? because you, you always feel better when you, when you take start a new regime and you go for walks and then go back to do some work, or you go and play golf yeah. and go mm-hmm. do some work. But it's it's then you have a crisis, don't you? Yes, you and then I I've had crises and you put back on weight. Yeah, or you yeah. suddenly got too much work. You don't make time for the exercise, and then you just yeah. get out of the the rhythm. It's again. it's a slow suicide. I always think that any addiction is mm. is like you know I've tried fast suicide. You know, um, I failed at that as well. Uh, so you know, it's that sort of thing. And I say yeah, it like I say it lightly because I I see a fellow traveller. Um, and for anybody listening, it's like I talk light because I am dark. Mm. I'm a nice person, but there are real wounds, real big, horrible, gaping wounds. And some of that's in the book, but some of the niceness and the humour's in the books as well. But I think that's what readers want. They want the authentic voice. Yeah. Yeah, they want to, you know, they want to learn something about you and they want to, to you know... Yeah, learn about people and read about real people. They don't just want it to be sugar-coated or to be happy. Do you know what winds me up, Netflix? I know it's kept me alive, Netflix, but all those American dramas, it's like, you don't have a house like that if you do a job like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it enrages me, the glossy. It's like, what, she's supposed to be having a ba- breakdown, but look at her hair. <laughs> I can remember doing interviews with the soap stars in America and they thought EastEnders was a documentary because nobody would look as rough as Pauline Fowler. <laughs> Seriously, this is not a joke. Because when they were having, you know, uh, brain surgery, they'd still have a full slap on. That That's reminds, not real life. That reminds me, my mum was training to... Um, uh, um, um, not midwife, uh, what comes next? Health visitor. She's trying to be a health visitor, and her tutor said to her, Watch EastEnders. <laughs> really? You get a, yeah, to get a sort of a what life is like, can be like. You know, you're saying EastEnders is almost documentary. In what, the like way. going to visit Lou Beale? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's true, and that's, I mean, God bless the soaps, and I hope there's enough in my books that feel real, because people say, oh, did you do any research? It's like, it's inside my mind. It's inside my heart. You know, I've gone through this. No, I've obviously not stolen a a child. I keep reiterating that. (laughs) I haven't. Um, But, you know, I know enough about the, I mean, the second one's about Uh, murder-suicide. I've not done that either, but it's always fascinated me. Um, I can definitely know what it feels like to want to kill yourself but why would you take everything with you i wouldn't harm a whisker on my cat's heads you, mm. you know that's the thing that fascinates me and it's also based on i've been married three times engaged seven times i've got a lot of bad relationship history that i can draw on mm-hmm. you know so it's like i didn't really need to do very much research on that either mm-hmm. and you worked with kelvin mckenzie so i did i did <laughs> So you know every swear word there is, you know. I, I knew more. <laughs> well, My dad was a window cleaner. I knew more. He was a bit like Derek and Clive for the older listeners. Yes, Derek yeah. and Clive, every other word was an F or a C. <laughs> and me and my brother's favourite game as a kid when my dad was on the phone was I'd, I'd count the C's and he'd count the F's. And uh, who <laughs> we top them up. Brilliant. That was our brilliant game. I love it. That, I love that. <laughs> I, I, uh, when I was working on BBC Breakfast on the sports side of things they invited Gordon Ramsay to come and review oh, the, brilliant. the day's football so the editor of the programme decided that um, for some bizarre reason he was a rather timid editor he's now the editor of the 10 o'clock news but he <laughs> he said to me go and see Mr Ramsay and, and tell him not to swear exactly did you have to tell did he tell yeah. you to fuck off <laughs> he did I mean, <laughs> so I went into I went into the <laughs> I went into the green room Moira Stewart sitting on the end of the 
Of course, she is Dame Maura. And uh, there's there's Gordon Ramsay and uh, Billy Bragg's in as well. (laughs) Oh, brilliant mix. (laughs) What a mix. mix. Anyway. to listen on my conversation. Well, I mean, you can imagine. I said, uh, Mr. Ramsay, uh, appreciate you coming in. Uh, I'm Adrian. I'm producing the the sports section uh, this morning. Um, My editor has asked me to remind you that it is a family show and uh, refrain from swearing, please. Anyway, what the... Yeah. You get me in here at this time of the yeah, Monday morning. Yeah. You know, you effing Nat's Pizzle is what he called me. <laughs> <laughs> and then Billy Bragg. Oh, I love Bi- it. Did he join in? I didn't I don't like to say Moira went a fully colour, but she did sort of her expression was was priceless. And then Billy Bragg's going, Yeah, right. Fourth of bloody estate and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> You tell him, Gordon. Oh, I love it. Did you? Did you? Are uh, you watching Ted Lasso? I think it's on yeah, Disney yeah, Plus yeah. because they've got a sweary pundit on that. <laughs> yeah, and then it goes. Then Gordon goes. Uh, only joking. Uh, of course, yeah, no problem. I'll, uh, you know, I'll be yeah. You do learn how not to, and I'm very aware now that I have. So I apologise. <laughs> so it's just like trigger warnings, isn't it? I think as long as you know there is vernacular in my books, but it's from the heart. It's not done um, just for the sake of no, it. No, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm I was a terribly swearing person in the in the newsroom, and as yes, an edi- but not on air. Yeah, not on air. Yeah, but, but as an editor, all newsrooms are surely. Well, you'd think so, but it's culturally now not allowed. I mean, we had a we had a uh, a colleague, and I, I, I guess you would have worked uh, with him at some point but I can't I don't want to talk about it too in too much detail but he was rusticated out of the BBC and put on the front of the newspapers for being you know for want of a better word a sex pest uh, or accusations came forward and they threw him under the bus because someone else within the BBC was more famous was facing those allegations so they gave him up uh, oh, and his Jesus. career ended and after that moment this is a few years ago and he was one of my direct colleagues and one of my people I had to manage um, basically the place became a library no one spoke no one joked no one felt comfortable yeah and actually I was I would try and break up that sort of silence but I think it got me into trouble yeah it's I, I think now it's that talking about self-editing when you're writing stuff like that um, it's it's not conscious some of it some of it is like you know you're well I'm I sort of stand by all the language I've used, but I am very aware of it now. You can't not be aware of it, mm. can you? That's mm. that's the honest truth. But the soaps manage without swearing, so there is that. You're talking about the grittiest thing. Yeah. Brookside did swearing for the first week or so. Can you remember? remember One of my favourite soaps. Yeah. You know, and it was the most authentic. But then even that, you know, the things yeah, the, that happen. The closest thing is flipping, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to be flipping joking. You know, but all very good accent. When Danny Dyer's saying, you're having a flipping laugh. I yeah, mean, it, just, it doesn't, doesn't ring true. Doesn't, doesn't and it. given what they're talking about, the issues. Yeah. So I think it's a fine line, but also people are grown-ups, and it's your, particularly readers, I think everybody reads in their own voice. They do. And just know that, you know, it's there to try and be real. And it's like, if you would know how many swear words I've edited out, because people are saying, well, you know, and each layer it goes through, you know, this edit, that edit, the other edit. It's, um, it's, it's a bit disconcerting, really, because it makes me, I live with shame a lot, having been brought up Catholic. 
So I always feel ashamed. I always feel like, oh, you know, I'm the world's worst writer in some ways. And then, you know, when people like it, you just think, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Love it's, it. Love it. You, you know what I mean? We're, I'm very conscious time. I'm looking at this big clock up on the above a statue of William Wallace, and I know that you, you've got to uh, move on to something yeah. else. So I'm going to ask one more serious question, and okay. then we've got to get the Rebecca okay. Random question. Okay. And just really wanted to reflect on your experience of coming to a book festival here in Stirling and, and, and how's it been? I have, I've been shaking uh, a lot. Um, I have loved this. I love talking to you. Uh, um, you were the only people apart from Marion Todd who I sort of knew because Marion and me did a Zoom panel and she's been wonderful. Um, and, and people have been quite nice but I still feel like the new kid at school. Mm. So um, I don't know. I, I went to bed at 9.30 last night because I just crashed and burned. And I feel I failed festival life at that. But also, you know, I am older than a lot of the writers and I need my rest. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But I did, um, I wouldn't say enjoy the going on stage, but I'm really glad I did it. It's one of the bravest things I've ever done. And I've jumped out of an aeroplane. Um, it's that level. It Climbing. felt like that. <laughs> I mean, I had a parachute and everything, but, you know. Um, but it, it felt like that. It felt like that exposing. But this is a woman who took her clothes off to publicise the second book. You didn't see anything. It was very calendar girls in the best possible taste because it's that level of, like, being naked emotionally. Yeah. It's a metaphor, isn't it? So I, I have loved it, and I'm a bit reeling still. Mm. It's our second festival, so I know what you mean, because we were completely at sea at and Harrogate. And I still feel that. And we, yeah, we yeah. went to bed early the first night. We watched MasterChef and fell asleep, so... <laughs> I watched a bit of Strictly last night. Oh, we, did like, yeah! Yeah, we did, we did. We got a tiny bit. weenie bit, yeah. I love the gay pairings. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so is it time for my round? It is time. Okay, I'll I'm give it a build-up. I'm looking forward to the round. Okay, yeah. we haven't done a jingle for this yet, but we will do. Random well, questions! There you are. <laughs> Rebecca's random question. Do you own Lucky Pants? Oh, now this is a bit of a revelation. I'm not wearing any at the moment and I very rarely wear them because (laughs) I'm always in lycra. So I've got my leggings on and I don't wear knickers with my leggings. Well, that was an unexpected answer. (laughs) I don't. So I very rarely wear knickers. But, you know, I'm perfectly decent. Yeah, yeah. But wow. have you ever owned any lucky pants, you know, for, or a lucky token or a lucky something when you're doing... When I'm trying to cop off? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I've been with my husband for 20 years, I have to answer this very carefully. My lucky pants variation was 10 pints. <laughs> or about five doubles. But if I did that now, I'd be in hospital having my stomach pump because I've not drank now. It was after Fit Club. Um, for about 13 years so not only coming to my first festival my first festival sober sober. and that's another reason I went to bed because um, throughout lockdown I've really felt the thirst upon me Mm. of like it would be so much easier in some ways but then you'd found me in the gutter and I wouldn't have been able to speak this morning and you know I would have tried to mount Chris Brookmeyer or something Uh, you know what I mean we've all done that (laughs) want to <laughs> but you know don't they rock that sort of hey cool vibe yeah, the cool guys do. mark billingham chris bookmeyer they do i sat I'm... next to them <laughs> yeah i would have probably mounted either one both uh with a few gins inside me so 
I'm glad I don't drink anymore. Uh, <laughs> that would have made a very different festival. <laughs> it would. Tina Baker, thank you so much. And Thank we, you. Uh, it's a wonderful book. Good luck with Nasty Little Cats. Call me money. Please mm. buy it so I can afford the ca- cat's bills. In my yeah. local Tesco. In my local Waterstones. Uh, I know it's, it's been, a, it's been a, 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 again, another a life-affirming conversation. Yeah, we get these with, these with this podcast, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Well, the wonderful Tina Baker, if you are offended by that word, tough. Read the book. You'll have a lot more of them. Trust me. Uh, it's a great book. And uh, as I say, it's been my bucket list to meet Tina Baker because uh, I used to love watching her. I think we're still, still a bit starstruck, even it's half an hour uh, But now. she's the one who said she was starstruck because we're the Hobarts. Apparently. I know. You're the Hobart family, the dynasty. The dynasty. <laughs> We've been publishing for a year and a half. That's hardly a dynasty. Yeah, the irony is that my surname's Collins, so I should be the publishing dynasty. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> you should be. Right. Before we move on, I had one more piece of information and... The new book by Chris Merritt, which I promised I'd mention, is The New Home, which is a psychological thriller, which is kind of right because he is a psychologist, so he's published yeah, his Twitter Yeah, they did. Said, they said, write, well, write what you know, and yeah, he did. Yeah, absolutely. So. Good on him. Good on him. Yeah, I look forward to reading right, that. Right, let's get some wider perspectives on how bloody Scotland has been yes, for people. Yes, we've stumbled across two people. <laughs> <laughs> Donna Morfitt, of course, who is... Um, uh, has been on the show not so long ago and, and came up and and, and Sue's uh, Clark Morris Clark Morris wonderful <laughs> Sue's Clark Morris well Sue let's start with you what did you think of Bloody Scotland this year I am so grateful to be back I'm so glad we're here it's smaller it's a little bit different but we're here and I hadn't realised how much I missed it I, I'm a regular this is my fifth year maybe right. uh, um, so I'm a regular I come for the whole weekend and just live every moment and that's what I've done this weekend it's our first is it your first Donna yep my first as well so let's ask you I mean as a first timer what did you think um obviously I've been to Harrogate so it's completely different to that but not in a bad way I think Harrogate was all uh, condensed into one beer tent and one um place whereas this you're sort of spread over two locations but it's been awesome. I've loved every second of it, and I definitely would come back. I think it's got a fantastic sort of literary feel to the, to the place. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's, this is the tenth year of Bloody Scotland as yeah. well, so Sterling embraces it every single year. And in normal times, we do a torch lit, fire torch lit down down the down the street from the castle, and you know the provost, Lord Mayor speak or lady mayor comes and speaks at the prize giving they absolutely embrace the festival oh that's fantastic maybe next year they might reintroduce that when we have the hob fest what are we going to do the hob fest we're probably just going to have a cup of tea and a crumpet aren't we (laughs) (laughs) kind of something visually spectacular burning cats uh no 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 (laughs) so you've you've been here when it's been busier yes yes and normally there's three venues as well there's a smaller one again um so there's always three options there's so much to choose from um as there was this time there were still hard choices to make mm. uh the fact it's gone online as well is is fabulous because so many people who can't be here for whatever reason have now got access to everything i think everything's gone online and some there's been some online exclusive stuff so this hybrid model i think will perhaps stay from, mm. from yeah now. i think bob mcdermott said the same thing didn't he so yeah. now they've tried it yeah 
um, but it, nothing beats being here and seeing authors and we haven't I haven't got myself this this year I don't think that's <laughs> appropriate thing to do yet uh, but I've got my book signed I've talked to people I've had coffee with people I've drunk in the bar with people and um, your favorite session's been my favourite session uh, was the Pitch Black Humour yesterday with Doug Johnston, J.D. Kirk and Auntie Tua Manana. Uh, How about you, Donna? I, I wish we'd seen that. <laughs> um, I mean, you've got Stephen King, obviously, but I think um, the fun-loving crime writers on Friday night was just absolutely awesome. They're nuts, but it was such a great time. Yeah. It really was fun. We went to bed early. We, we, we watched MasterChef and went to bed. <laughs> oh, but we regretted it, though. Treat. We regretted catch it. Catch it online. Catch everything you've not seen online. That yeah, that's time. definitely the plan. Yeah. Yes. And Likewise, if we come back next year. Ten days, I think. Ten days the pass goes for. Right. Till the 30th. Okay. So anybody that's not been here and, and or has been here and has the digital pass, it, you've got access till the 30th. Mm. And in, uh, in your judgment, I mean, the Scottish crime writing scene is phenomenal. And it is the driving force of the British one, let's be honest. Arguably the best writers in the genre are from Scotland. They're the patrons and they've they've been driving forces behind this festival and supported it. I'm thinking of Val, I'm thinking of Ian Rankin. Uh, It is a phenomenon, isn't it? Scottish crime writing. It is, it is. And I think, I don't know, I think it's probably the bad weather. (laughs) I think there's this dark... There's a, a darkness, I think, to Scot- Scottish people. And I think they would agree with that. But there's also the, there's, a, there's a black humour that runs through it as well. Yeah. Uh, but it is. It's, it's, you're absolutely right. It's a phenomenon. And whilst this is a really big festival, we actually have several. There's uh, Aberdeen Noir. There's uh, Butte Noir. There's something in Inverness, I think. Uh, there's a tiny one in Cromarty in the Black Isle, which uh, Ian Rankin started uh, several years. I'm, I'm heading to that one next year. But that's a tiny, tiny one. Um so they're all over the place mm. and yeah it's I mean I can't I, I was talking to Donna about I, there's so many English authors that I've not read yet not deliberately it's just there are so many good writers uh, and we are really lucky up here with, with the amount we have yeah and I, I think it's it's also something and we've, we've noticed this and we've sort of been thinking should we move here because <laughs> yeah it only takes two days and we want to move here <laughs> I think it this is this is not I don't want to denigrate because I'm English is through and through but I don't want to denigrate the English but she just can have even in a restaurant or whatever casually a really intelligent conversation with anybody you meet it seems and I don't think you get that necessarily in England so much no I think people here I've, I mean I've lived here 26 years in Glasgow so only half an yeah. hour away and I think the people here I think probably the north of England is very similar as well but they yeah. are so welcoming that you can talk to anybody and such interesting folk um, yeah I, I would move back now although it's quite cold and often wet <laughs> But it's so beautiful. Yeah, well. it is. It's so beautiful. And I actually don't mind the cold and wet myself, so I, I think you'll I'm find, sold. <laughs> you'll find the scenery plays a large part in, in Scottish crime writing as well because we've got so many places that are perfect for burying bodies <laughs> and, <laughs> and isolated crimes. So. Perhaps I need Donna to defend the English flag now. What no, do you think? I'm with you. I'm, I'm coming up here. It's, it's too nice. And like you say, you go anywhere... And the camaraderie as well between all the authors and 
you know, they're just everyone's so happy to be back together anyway. But yeah. it's just been amazing. The atmosphere of everyone together has just been amazing. And yeah, it is stunningly beautiful up here. And yeah, I'm with you. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm coming. I'm just going to that. I think the biggest cheer leaders for Scottish authors are other Scottish writers. Yes. They are. It is a hugely phenomenal, yeah. supportive community. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think the English one is as well. But I do get the fe- the feeling that that. Uh, here, that the authors here it's just about, look, get the words on the page uh, polish them up and get the book out, as opposed to there's a lot of, well uh, mis- mystique and mystery that is around the, the English publishing scene, you know, the sort of the gatekeepers that you saw at, perhaps at Harrogate, a lot of them on the Thursday night were there for the award, and they were sort of s- surrounding their authors and keeping them away from the public, you don't get that up here yeah. No, no, they are so accessible and so happy to talk to you. And I've collared people for signings as they've been checking out hotels and, and you know, on the way to the loo, walking past the pub. <laughs> they are they are fabulous and uh, nothing's too much bother. Um, and as Donna says, they're also grateful to be back here. Normally we would have a football match here as well. There's an English, there's a Scottish uh, crime writers versus the English ones. There's normally a football match with a pop-up gin stand. So um, hopefully we'll be back Fantastic. to the next year with the torchlight, <laughs> the football. Um, oh, I think we've got to come year. again next year. Well, if they need a goalie, I was an under-10 goalie, so uh, <laughs> uh, that will, I'll do that for them. By then I might be published, so I can legitimately, legitimately play. There's an incentive for you. Get your book written. Yeah. And come yeah. and play, come and play football. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and we, when we play it up the hill at the the church of the Holy Holy Reef, there's a there's a grass area there. I think it's the old hospital grounds or something. Um, and we play it there. I'm we, glad there's we, a we, church we, nearby because I'm probably going to need it after that. You know, so, we play. Yeah, I'm, we can bring bring forward the funeral a bit. <laughs> <laughs> On that optimistic note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come back drink, and die. Come back uh, and and just enjoy and and it's the best the best festival i go to it's the highlight of my year um and come back and drink bloody scotland cocktails next year yeah yeah, i didn't this time no we didn't we just stuck to the gin yeah it's gin based okay (laughs) jolly good jolly good uh donna for you highlight you said stephen king um just, just being here, you know, just being and uh, meeting Sue's. I've not met her before, so <laughs> that was awesome. And yes, uh, meeting different authors, uh, Sharon Bearden as well. Um, I've not met her before, so yeah, just meeting people I've not met and yeah. being around and being. I just love it. I love every second of it. <laughs> Are you going to get post-festival blues when you go home? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> no question. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will too. Oh, I will. I'll be really miserable tonight. I warn you. Great! And I've got to put this, whole, this podcast together at the same time. While you're looking miserable at me. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Glad you Thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you very much. So it's uh, really time to call time on this edition of the podcast. It is, yeah, and we're probably going home very soon too. Yeah, Boo-hoo. we are. We're going to uh, wind our way doing the, the the long and winding road. Yes, and stop at about ten accent, service stations on the way. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to stop at TV again, aren't we? Yes. And um, load up on extremely expensive charcuterie. And uh, He loves that place. <laughs> I do, I can't help it. I can't help it. That's when the, the, uh, the middle-class and Englishman stop, in stop me comes out. And I, and I have to stop and buy a load of expensive uh, rubbish as my phone goes. Anyway, it's... Um, it's my son. I know, I can see. James Hobart. <laughs> well, I'll call him back in a minute. I'll call him back in a minute. Anyway, it's been um, 
uh, it's been great to be it here at Bloody Scotland and to bring Hobeck books here. Uh, you never know what spins out of this. If you think about it, we've had submissions from people who saw us two and a half years ago at Morecambe and Vice. Yeah, you so never maybe know. in two and a half years' time, someone here, such as Donna Morfitt, you never know, <laughs> or Stephen King himself said, "I saw you at Sterling, and I'm going to submit to you." Um, for the next I don't think Stephen King saw us because no, he was, but he felt our presence. He felt our of presence the, yes. of the room. So uh, it has been an absolute pleasure, uh, Rebecca. Thank you very much, uh, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hobcast Book Show. Don't forget, we have uh, well, we have a load of episodes. We've got 35 previous episodes to listen this to. This is 36. This is number 36, I believe. So please uh, take an interest in those. We've got some great upcoming books, and we'll be talking to our uh, soon-to-be-published authors very, very soon. Who's next on our list? Oh, next would be Harry Fisher. Yeah, Harry Fisher, another Scottish author, uh, very, very soon. And uh, we are busy publishing a lot of titles. So if you want to know about what we're doing, www.hobeck.net is the place to go. But uh, from this edition of the podcast, and from me, Adrian Hobart. Madara. I can't do it. I still can't do it. Madara. Madara. That's pretty <laughs> and, awful. What's and your me, name? Rebecca Collins. Rebecca Collins. Rebecca Collins. Rabbi Collins. <laughs> I need to live here so I can master the accent. You're going to have to. <laughs> Jesus, you sound like a sore thumb. Anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Uh, as ever, we wish you a wonderful, creative week. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.